Our next sponsor for this episode is one of our favorite companies and longtime acquired partner, Pilot.com. For startups and growth companies of all kinds, Pilot is the one team for all of your company's accounting, tax, and bookkeeping needs, and in fact, now is the largest startup-focused accounting firm in the U.S. Which is wild, because when we started working with them way back when, they were just a startup themselves, and now they're a billion-dollar-plus company backed by Sequoia, Index, Stripe, and even Jeff Bezos himself. Yep. And speaking of Bezos, we talk all the time on Acquired of Jeff's AWS-inspired axiom that startups should focus on what makes their beer taste better. In other words, only spend your limited time and resources on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and customers and outsource everything else that you do as a company that doesn't fit that bill. And accounting is like example number one of what he's talking about. Every company needs it. It needs to be done by a professional. You don't want to take any risk of anything going wrong. But at the same time, it has zero impact on your product or customers, things you do uniquely well. Yep. So enter Pilot. Pilot both sets up and operates your company's entire financial stack. So finance, accounting, tax, even CFO services like investor reporting. From your general ledger all the way up to budgeting and financial sections of board decks, Pilot takes care of all that. And they've been doing this now for years across thousands of startups in Silicon Valley and beyond. And there's nobody better who you can trust to both get your finance right and make it easy and painless for you and your company. Yep. And when you say thousands of companies Pilot does this for, David, these are now companies like OpenAI, Airtable, and Scale, as well as e-commerce and other companies. So it's not just that they have experience across startups, they can keep working with you as you scale to the growth phase and beyond. So if your company or a company that you start in the future wants to go back to focusing on what makes your beer taste better, go to pilot.com slash acquired or click the link in the show notes and tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to our friends, the Pilot co-founders, all acquired listeners, if you use that link, you will get 20% off your first six months of service. Thanks, Pilot. Four score and seven years ago. Our forefathers brought forth in this continent. How far can you go with that? I actually forgot. That's as far as you got? Oh, you didn't even get that far? What did you learn in civics in elementary school? Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down, say it straight, another story on the way. Who got the truth? Welcome to episode number eight of Acquired. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today we have a very special episode. We have uh, a guest at Microsoft, uh, Kurt Delbeni. Yeah, we are very lucky to have Kurt Delbeni with us today. Uh, he's been a great friend and mentor to uh, both of us in different ways, uh, and actually both of us at Madrona too. Um, so Kurt uh, started his career actually at the very uh, famous and renowned Bell Labs um, and spent five years there and then went to uh, Booth and got his MBA um, at Chicago, uh, went to did a short stint at McKinsey after that, and then went to Microsoft and had an over 20-year career at Microsoft that um, culminated when Ben was there in um in kurt being the president of office uh which he was until december 2013 and uh, and then afterwards he went to uh to healthcare.gov and did a stint there helping launch obamacare and after that ended up uh, with us for a little while we were really lucky to have him at madrona as a venture partner and uh, and then last spring uh kurt returned to microsoft and uh, is the evp of corporate strategy and planning so thank you kurt for uh gracing us Hey, it's good to be here and good to talk to you guys again. Just one little correction on healthcare.gov. I came in after the launch to help them repair it. You did. And and, and for, for listeners, I had the privilege of uh, waking up real early one morning and, and coming in to hear um, Kurt talk about that at Madrona. It is absolutely fascinating to hear how to mop up a gigantic <laughs> software project like that and, and getting all the right people on the bus, all the right um, consultants and contracting firms that that are putting that whole thing together. It is uh, Kurt that that looked like an absolute ballet. Well, it's it was uh, super rewarding and super challenging. So maybe we can do a future podcast just on that. It's a good. It's an interesting topic. You needed to uh, you needed to get some good R and R. So you went to a venture firm for yeah uh, ten months exactly. afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today with Kurt, um, we're going to talk about. Uh, hopefully a very topical um, 
acquisition. And we're actually going to lump a few in here, but the main focus is going to be Accompli, which is now um, the mobile outlook on iOS and Android. Um, so I'm going to run through quickly. Uh, we're going to do Accompli, and then and then we'll sprinkle in little bits of uh, both Sunrise and Wonderlist, which are also um, office productivity apps that Microsoft all acquired in the past 18 months or so. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to run through quickly the acquisition history and facts. Accompli, founded April 2013 by Javier Soltero, uh, JJ Zhuang, and Kevin Henriksen. Um, it's interesting, Javier was CMU engineer and then an early employee at Netscape. And Javier uh, spent three and a half years at, at VMware before kind of coming back to his uh, productivity roots and founding Accompli, which... Um, I was a, a user from from day one when it launched in launched in beta and thought it was on my iPhone and thought it was just a great, um, really the first mobile app that combined mail and calendar all in one app. Um, the, the the magic that Outlook had been doing for so many years and no one <laughs> exactly. no one really Innovation. did on iOS. Um, what's what's uh, old is new again. Um, <laughs> They raised uh, a $7.3 million Series A from Redpoint, um, led by Redpoint, uh, where Javier had been in an EIR after VMware, um, uh, and Harrison Metal and Felicis. Uh, and then about 18 months later, uh, Microsoft acquired the company in December 2014 for a reported $200 million. Um, it was interesting. There's actually a, everybody knew this acquisition was going to happen because Microsoft wrote a blog post about it. And it leaked about two weeks before the acquisition yeah. actually uh, actually went live. Yeah, not a shining moment. Not a shining moment, but uh, but um, it was successful. The acquisition happened. There were about twenty five employees, all based in San Francisco. They all joined Microsoft. Um, and and David, that was only I think like seven eight months after launch. Nine months, maybe. I think it launched in April of that yep. same year. It was it was eighteen months, less than eighteen months after the founding of the company. Um, and uh, uh, so it was very quick. And this was right after um, uh, Dropbox had acquired Mailbox. Uh, so it was the era of email, mobile email acquisitions. <laughs> Begun the iOS mail app wars have. Yes. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, Microsoft uh, then acquired the calendar app Sunrise in February 2015. Um and then in June of 2015, Microsoft acquired Wonderlist, the to-do list app, which I know um, has a, probably has a soft spot in Kurt's heart, knowing how much he loves lists. Um, I do love Wonderlist. It is a great app. I, I joked when that happened, I think with Kurt, that uh, Microsoft was trying to buy my entire iPhone home <laughs> screen. <laughs> exactly. So what you'll have to tell us at the end what you're using these days. I am still using all of these products. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an endorsement right there. Yeah. There you go. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So um, with that, you know, what's happened since then, um, In at that same time, uh, right after uh, the Wonderlist acquisition, uh, Javier was actually promoted um, uh, within Microsoft to be the corporate VP running all of Outlook. So not, uh, not just the Outlook mobile app, but Outlook on desktop as well. Um, Shortly thereafter, after that, um, Sunrise uh, Calendar was rolled into Outlook. Um, Wonderlist has has remained independent um, today, but uh, has been announced that um, further integrations may be coming on that front. So maybe Kurt can enlighten us on that. Um, but with that, uh, uh, Kurt would love to hear kind of how you thought about uh, about all of these products. Sure. So the first thing I should say is the acquisition happened during my uh, time away from Microsoft, but I know the whole history of it. The corporate strategy team, was, which I lead now, was intimately involved in the, in the acquisition. So, and I obviously know the space super well. I've spent uh, a ton of time in office. So when I saw it happen, I said, okay, this one makes complete sense. Um, this is an example. I mean, there are different reasons that Microsoft makes acquisitions, as I'm sure there are for all companies. There are places where we look at our position in a particular area and say we need a technology, we need a particular product. There are other cases where we opportunistically look at uh, a, a 
product or company that's doing well in a space and said, wow, we can see a, an adjacency to the business that we have. And so we want to um, uh, we want to acquire the company to kind of build up, build out that adjacency. There's some more rare cases where we'll do it to get a particular set of talent. You know, we see a team that's super, super good. Um, but th- I think that tends to be the exception. This one was the was kind of, I would say, a strategic acquisition. If you think about the journey that Office has been on, uh, the core competency has been on the desktop, uh, uh, you know, the Office suite. And I, by desktop, I mean both the Windows PC and, um, you know, kind of leading productivity on the Mac as well. And so coming from that core, as other uh, OSs became popular, particularly in the mobile space, um, uh, the team actually was a corporate strategy effort with the team, with the ASG team as well. We said, okay, this is clearly a place where we've got to, to make an acquisition or build ourselves, but we need to have um, a, a great app for the core Office 365 scenarios. And those are mm-hmm. email contacts, uh, calendaring, and to do. And so we said, do we want to make or do we want to buy? And is there somebody out there that we would love to have? And uh, really just said, okay, what would, if we do want to acquire, what would that look like? What would it look like to make it internally? Um, and are there candidates there that would, would be great for us to acquire? So that's what kind of got us started on the path. Um, and it kind of went from there. Cool. Thanks, Kurt. I, I think it's uh, one of the things that you read a lot about these days is Microsoft shifting from the Windows and Office company to a, a mobile first, cloud first company. Mm-hmm. And yep. You know, I, I think that from a high level, first of all, as a, as a consumer and, and just, you know, from the public perception of Microsoft these days, everyone is loving that. I mean, the whole focus on build a really great cross-platform experience, have your the same data with you everywhere, access to the same services, um, you know, the same core yeah. office services that you know and love, huge value prop for consumers. As you guys transition to, um, you know, these free mobile apps that are on platforms that you don't own, um, how do you look at that as sort of, um, the, the revenue future of Microsoft and how does that replace the, the giants of your with selling windows and, and office box software? The giants of your, I love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, the first thing is you have to recognize that office 365, the cloud versions of exchange, SharePoint and Skype for business are strong in rapidly growing revenue streams for Microsoft in, you know, by themselves. So in some sense, it's always been the case that when you buy exchange, you get a client experience um, that goes with that, you know, go all the way back to the exchange clients in uh, the mid nineties, there's always a client that came with it and that model has stayed. And so again, looking at a company in particular, they were really developing a very fast leadership position in terms of downloads, in terms of monthly active users, uh, that was very appealing to us. And so uh, I think um, just that's a natural to when it comes to mobile, you've got to, to have a certain free experience. And then you can think about having a paid experience incremental to what the expectation in the market of what is free. So in the case of email, you know, the expectation is you're going to have a single client that will work against your free mail, but will also work against your enterprise mail. You can mm-hmm. think about features that you put behind a firewall, you know, a pay firewall. We do that by having uh, certain tiers within Office 365. And then there's certain tiers within the client, too, which is also available as a subscription. So we think about there's a certain free thing that free piece that you want to give to everybody. There's a certain set of features that can be made available as add-ons. Um, there are particular areas where that works well. So uh, features where to communicate to somebody else, you got to have the paid one. That doesn't work very well because you want to have a common capability across the across all the people using the service. But things like enterprise features, like uh, um, retention policies mm-hmm. and uh, anything around usage analysis, et cetera. Those are all features where people will pay for pay extra for them, but you don't have to build it into the core product. So we definitely see the ability to kind of tier things that way. The other thing you have to think about is uh, people have multiple devices. You, you, you know, they have a PC, they have an Android phone, they have a Windows phone, they have a, a Mac and an iPhone. 
And so you have to think about the client experience as being a single set of client experiences that go across all those different devices. And if you can package those together into a subscription, then you can sell the value proposition of the entire subscription, regardless of what uh, device you happen to, to have. But then again, you still have to think about, we need to have a leader pos leadership position in all of the devices that people find popular. And mm -hmm. so we want to have Office be the best experience, regardless of whether you're on an iOS device, whether you're on an Android device. You know, we'd love to, to have you think of Windows as your home, but we need to have a great experience regardless of the devices that you use. Well, I think, um, you know, this is something that uh, Microsoft and, and you have really done a great job with. I mean, even going back to the origin of Office 365, um, you know, Ben, when you were working at Microsoft, you were working on uh, Office for iPad, right? It was. I was that was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we finally, we did get around to shipping that. Then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. Um, you know, the importance of it, you know, as a consumer, um, you know, it's not about my experience with my mail client or with Excel or with Word on a, on a particular device. Now it's about how that works in concert across all of the areas where I'm doing my computing. Um, a, a related area that I'm curious if you guys thought about with the Accompli acquisition and the strategy is um, something that Ben touched on, the unified inbox. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember in my first job uh, in finance out of college, um, I had obviously Outlook. I was working in a bank uh, and all of my work email was on Outlook on my computer and my workstation. Um, and uh, the iPhone had just launched and I loved it because it meant I could get my Gmail at work. Uh, and, and now... Um, you know, the concept of having different inboxes, uh, for me at least, is something I think for probably most of our listeners is um, something that we, we wouldn't even think about anymore. Was that, um, totally. was that part of the strategy here too? Yeah, I think that Accompli does a great job of giving you a single unified inbox. The Windows Phone also on its client also can get, you can link together a couple inboxes together. But if you go all the way back to when Outlook was first created, um, it uh, was a total different look at what had historically been separate products for email versus calendaring. Mm -hmm. You know, we had Schedule Plus. Those of you older in your yeah. your uh, blogosphere listeners will remember Schedule Plus. It, it became a verb. It was so popular, and in fact, um, still still echoes around the hallways of Microsoft about sending us pluses around. Exactly. Every time I correct them, and I, I call it a meet, it's a meeting request because <laughs> you know, Schedule Plus is long since dead. But this notion that things come together and become unified, it really just follows how people expect to use the product. So when you start building a bunch of meeting request capability into Schedule Plus, all of a sudden it starts to look a lot like email. And so Outlook, uh, and under Brian McDonald, who is the the kind of the father of, of Outlook way back when it was called Wren, as in Wren and Stimpy. He had this idea that you want to bring these different mail and calendaring um, and tasks all together into a single user experience, which clearly has been borne out. Um, early on, the versions of Outlook were not up to the task, really, I will say in retrospect. There was a period of time when Outlook was called Lookout because you wanted to stay away from it because it was pretty slow um, when it first happened, but it's become really the leader in this integrated set of products. And, and I think that's happening on mobile devices as well, because those scenarios are so deeply integrated together. Um, I think you find calendaring deeply integrated. That's why Sunrise got integrated into Compli. Task management actually is a little bit different. And so we think that there's, you know, if anything, the mobile uh, the paradigm on mobile is different applications for different use cases. And so it's not necessarily the case that what you do for the PC is what makes sense to do on a mobile device as well. And I can tell you there aren't any particular plans to take Wonderlist and, and, and deeply integrate it with Accompli. Where the scenarios cross over probably makes a lot of sense. But then, you know, the personality needs to be preserved of those different applications. Um, and we think they're big applications in and of, of themselves. Yeah, and it, it's a, a great lead into, um, you know, we're talking about integration of software right now. 
Let's talk about integration of people. Mm-hmm. How, what were the different options you guys looked at for how you could integrate the teams in terms of location, in terms of hierarchy, um, in terms of you know, focusing on retention? And what decisions did you guys make um, with primarily the Accompli team? It's a, really, it's a great question. Um, that it is super, super important for us to retain the, both the particular talent the fact that they're a team as well, um, but also the personality of the of the organization itself. So it is not this uh, this get integrated into the collective and you are just part of Microsoft. We work really really hard um, to keep the teams separate while we take the opportunity of being part of Microsoft to be an accelerant to the objectives of the of the team. And so a lot mm-hmm. of folks. Uh, these teams come on and they're just super excited about being able to leverage the the breadth of Microsoft to do more great things. And, and so, unless um, unless I'm mistaken, all of these teams are uh, still in their original locations. Well, that's um, the other thing. None of them are in Redmond, right? Right. It doesn't make much sense to have everybody come uh, to Redmond. It's it's not necessary. We are already a broad um, company that has locations everywhere. And so there's not a need from that perspective. And, you know, there's no purpose in them moving. They have cool locations. They have homes where their family are. And so in most cases, we actually don't relocate them. Um, And that's definitely been the case here as well. The Wonderless guys are in Germany and they love being there. And we're just as happy to have them there as well. I mean, the nature of software is it is a global business now. And so we can definitely accommodate that. The other thing that we've tried to really do is figure out how do we take advantage of the the, uh, skills that the team has and the vision that they have. That's why you see Javier become the leader of uh, Outlook overall. And that's just a recognition that, hey, these guys did something really incredible. And we want to make sure that we take advantage of that as much as humanly possible. And so that's a we definitely look for cases like that as well. I mean, the third thing I would say is the trickiest aspect of it from our perspective is we have um, places where we want to drive synergy between uh, their product and other products at Microsoft. And that's a very, very tricky piece because these guys all come in um, with an, a set of plans that they have in place that they want to accomplish. Mm. And if you divert them too far from that mission, you can ruin the, what's special that you you did the acquisition for in the first place. And so we try to be really, really careful. I'm not sure we always get the balance right. There's sometimes when we over-index on the integration and we find that we lose a little of the secret sauce because the product starts coming out more slowly and the innovation doesn't come through as well. And we're learning all the time too. And so um, I'm not sure we always get it right. I actually think on these acquisitions that we're talking about, we we set the balance pretty well. Yeah, and I can I can speak to that. I, I just um, put out a tweet a couple of days ago sort of asking about who's using um, Outlook for iPhone. And I got a response from uh, someone I, I knew on the team over there. And it, you know, the, his response was something along the lines of, um, let me know how you like it, we move fast. Yep. And I want feedback. Yeah. And it seems like that team, and I, I, I'm not certain, but I think he was at Microsoft pre-acquisition. So it seems like some of that DNA sort of bleeds into the existing team and, and kind of lights a fire. Yeah. Even simple things like if you if you use Outlook for, um, for iPhone, there's a way, actually for either um, platform, you can give user feedback on the product directly from within the product from the context that you're you're in and it'll bundle up everything that it knows about what you're trying to do and basically send it directly to us and so that's a place where you know we'd love to take those learnings of how they got that that 360 feedback loop and really really intensely follow it and collect the data so as as your friend said they move they can move super super fast yeah and from a leadership perspective, I mean, when you have people that have made their whole career and their their life's work outlook, and then you do an acquisition like this, and and the leadership of of the broader outlook becomes someone from this new and outside team, you know, how do you how do you make sure that lands organizationally? Well, it actually it's not as hard as you might think. The probably the biggest challenge is if you've got particular people who were in line for 
that job or a job in specific. It's, you know, I think it's a misconception that people at Microsoft are, are not, um, you know, are not open or embracing of, of new things that come in. I'm not actually even sure if it's a misconception. It's definitely not the case. And so when a new team like come, this comes in, and, and in Compli in particular, or any of these products, Sunrise, Wonderless, it's like it, the overall view is, oh my gosh, this is a fantastic thing. Let's, in, let's bring them in. Let's embrace them as a team. Let's learn from them. And we'll all do great things together. So it's not as hard as you might think. Um, yeah, absent the particular real... particular positions where somebody from the entering team might get a uh, get, get a position that somebody else might have thought they were in line for. When um, I, I mean, I, I remember when Javier was uh, promoted to to corporate VP and hearing um, you know hearing about it in the press, but then also hearing friends at Microsoft talk about it. You know, so often you know you see you know we see looking at lots of acquisitions the. CEO or the management team of the target company will end up, you know, with some meaningless VP title yep. at, at the acquiry and they'll stay for 18 months until they vest and then they're gone and on to their next thing. I mean, this is a major, major role at Microsoft um, and really was, you know, I don't know if promotion is the right word, given that he was CEO of Accompli, but but a real recognition of a, a scope um, that uh, that that really was was much broader than than just the Accompli mobile app. Absolutely. And it was it truly was a recognition that he has skills that we want to leverage more broadly than just within the Accompli team per se. And it's working out really really well. Actually I was going to bring this up later but um you know Javier wrote in uh, the blog post announcing <laughs> yeah. the acquisition um yeah, he he wrote the he wrote these these sentences here that are, that I'll read. He said, "18 months ago, we started building a team and a product around the idea that we could make mobile email better. Today, that journey continues as part of a larger organization with the technology, talent, and market reach that will help us take the the vision of a company to hundreds of millions of mobile users across the world." And I just thought when I read that, as we were researching this episode, you see some version of that in every acquisition that gets announced. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, we you know we're going to get the scale and the resources that are really going to enable us to impact many more users. Um, and usually it's pretty hollow, uh, but but here, um, you know, I, I, kudos to you and, and to Microsoft for really. Um, giving a giving them that in truth but uh but it's really rare to see the team embrace this as much as as um as javier and the accompli team have yeah no i i appreciate that and it really was the intention you know that there is a bit of a scale difference too though because there are a billion users of office across the planet and so if you were somebody who wanted to see your vision get delivered just think about it just in the context of business users that say hey, I'm running Office, and now Microsoft says we have a great Outlook client for iPhone and for Android. You're basically just sanctioning that product as being the product that they should use. Now, the great thing about Accompli is it had a huge user base in, or quickly growing user base um, from a strong core. And so we were both able to take advantage of that in terms of getting a, a stronger footprint in mobile right there. But there, you know, Javier was right in terms of the leverage that came uh, from just announcing it and starting to um, distribute it with Office, et cetera. It, 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 we gave them a big boost and we took advantage of the boost that they gave us as well. well. I'm curious, as you were, when you made the acquisition, did Javier's background from Netscape and then from VMware especially, um, did that play into it? Did you... Um, uh, did did you Microsoft see him as a potential leader when you when you bought the company and was that a factor? Well, we definitely look at the talent, the specific talent, as part of our due diligence process. I would not say that we. There are times when we actually do look for talent as the as I discussed earlier, talent as the primary reason for doing an acquisition. The primary reason for this acquisition was they had a great product in a in a space that we thought was super complementary to us. And so, you know, that's the reason to do it there. But we definitely look at the talent um, and figure out 
how do we retain those key people along the way? Um, the other thing that I would say is there's this whole question that often comes up, at least at Microsoft and I'm sure elsewhere, is there are times when you think you can buy the second best or the third best person <laughs> or mm -hmm. uh, product or company. And there are times when you know you just need to buy the best. And this is a case, uh, all three of those are the case where we wanted to buy the leader in the space. And in that sense, if that's your first and foremost uh, goal and you believe you got a great team, then the acquisition kind of writes itself. It's, it just makes a ton of sense and it, and it works out super well. And that's what kind of what happened in this case. I, I want to push on that a little bit. Yeah. Why is it so important to have the absolute best clients, um, Wonderlist and Outlook, uh, Outlook for iPhone and um, and Sunrise? I guess that'll eventually just be an Outlook. When those are are free products that can access both Microsoft services and other services, and the money is made on Office three sixty five subscriptions, which can also be accessed by a variety of clients. That's a good question. I I think above all, we now live in a world where individual pull of applications is in particular categories like email is incredibly important and in some ways more important than the push that can happen from Microsoft saying this is our solution for email. And so that's a big piece of it. So when you we yeah. you see that's this, a big mindset. Shift. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not, you know, it, there are places where we think we can, quote unquote, make the market by uh, driving innovation, you know, defining innovation, delivering on it and making a category. I think SharePoint was probably an example of that. And there are other places where other people are establishing what that category looks like, particularly on um, form factors like mobile. And you just recognize it and say, you know, this is a place where we we just want to get the best. Um, the other thing is you always want to give yourself every advantage to do well. And in that case, if you're also having to overcome the fact that there's a leader in front of you that's got incredible end user pull, you know, it's it's just not worth settling for that second best app. It's true. And if you're if you're kind of following in the footsteps there. I mean, the client app is really the front door to the consumer experience. So I guess there's always that risk that 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 client app could start prioritizing a different service. I mean, you, you don't own that customer relationship at that point unless you're you're the leader with the the client interface. Yeah, I think that's a different kind of acquisition, which isn't unheard of. There there's sometimes when you can acquire an application, and I don't think we ever do it. I can't think of a case where we have ever acquired anything purely for the sake of getting it out of the hands of a competitor, or <laughs> keeping it from being independent. It is a kind of nice byproduct in some cases where, you know, we think there's a good reason to have this application. And by the way, we'd rather the other guy didn't have it. But I don't think, I can't think of a single time when that has been um, a predominant reason. Uh, it's kind of a nice, uh, a bonus, if you will. It's it's really interesting um, that you say that the, the last episode we did uh, was on YouTube. Yeah. And one of the really cool things about YouTube is there's all of this publicly available information about um, about the company and about the acquisition because of the lawsuit, the Viacom and, and YouTube and then ultimately Google lawsuit. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Eric Schmidt testified that one of the key reasons both, both for the acquisition and for the price they paid for YouTube was a, the opposite of what you're saying was to keep it out of other people's hands. Really? Did you yeah. say whose hands they wanted to keep it out of? Uh, he, I don't believe he named specific uh, competitors, but uh, implied that they were other very large technology companies. <laughs> I, I, I stand by, I can't think of an acquisition that we've done for that reason. You know, at the heart of it, the other thing I would say is, you know, Microsoft is a, we are a product and a technology driven company. And what we're trying to do within each of the product groups is what is the, you know, the, the dominant meme, if you will, about the discussions that we have. It's like, if you own the office business or you're part of the team, you're always thinking about your own product and how do you make it stronger? How do you make it better? You're not thinking about how you use it as a chess move, how you would make an acquisition to be a chess move to keep something out of somebody else's reach. I don't know, Ben, you were there. Can you imagine? Have you do you remember ever having such an acquisition? 
No, not while I was there. Yeah. And I can't imagine too, like the, just thinking about the rest of the uh, office for iPad team. Like if we had bought one of the weird kind of like office clones for iPad that we were looking at as sort of like the not doing so well, but decent competitive yeah. landscape and like tried to bring them into the team that that would have been really messed up. Yep. You know, the other thing about it is it's, there's a certain amount of risk in an acquisition period. And so everything you want, everything going for you, because there's always going to be things that, that help mess it up when you, when you bring it in. So, um, you know, having some ulterior motive, which is pulled out of somebody's hands versus being led by what you want to proactively and positively do with the product. It just doesn't seem like a very good calculus to me, but eh, maybe that's what Eric uh, really had in mind when he bought YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it seemed to work out for him pretty well. So they, they, well, know, we graded that one not super highly. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we, we gave it a C, or at least I did. Wow, you guys are tough graders. YouTube yeah. 10 years later is a break-even business. They've lost a lot of money on that business. Well, I guess that is true. And, huh. Is it break-even on an annual basis, including advertisements? Uh, as far as our research could determine, yes. Interesting. I don't follow that space super closely. so A lot of, uh, a lot of cogs in that business. I suppose that's uh, true. Both on the technology and on the content and uh, talent side. Yeah. Um, this is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired, that's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. Let's move on. Um, Two, uh, we're going to do uh, two other um, uh, categories that we like to do on the show or, or segments. Um, first is uh, Ben and I both, and, and Kurt, you're welcome to join in too. We assign a category to each acquisition we're looking at. And um, the, uh, the categories we typically use are people, technology, product, and business line. And we give ourselves an out of an other. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Ben, you want to go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. This is a product acquisition. Um, there's nice things that came along with it, but um, OWA, the Outlook Web Access app, was just not good. And as someone that was at Microsoft and using it for quite a while, I was getting a lot of uh, encrypted mail in, in IRM. And so I had um, that, that old uh, Outlook Web Access installed on my phone just to read the encrypted mail. And then I'd get out of there as fast as I could. And I'm like rooting for the home I'm team, right? I'm, I'm trying so hard. And it was, you know, it, it, it was a shame seeing all these other really great mail clients out there. Um, and this is right when Mailbox and Accomplete were popping up and, um, you know, useless for a lot of my mail. Yeah. So it, it, I remember it, even just as an exchange user at Madrona, I mean, it was it was uh, really frustrating because all my friends who were working at startups, you know, were using Mailbox or uh, the Gmail app and um, and they were great. And, and look, like it, it came not a moment too soon. I think that um, for me, Accompli, I was using it before the acquisition. I was using it after the acquisition. Um, I thought it was super impressive, the turnaround time from, from going from um, being an acquisition where they were trying to work out exactly 
you know, what it was going to turn into and what the timelines were going to look like and what the people were going to look like. You can kind of like, it, you always figure all oh, that'll take like six months or so. Within two months, it shipped as Outlook for iPhone. And like all the news stories were kind of funny that, oh, they just slapped a new label on it. Maybe they did, but who cares? It was great. That's a really good point. Uh, at some at some point, you don't want to mess with success. And there's a certain <laughs> yeah. set of legal things you got to do to make it a Microsoft product. But that's and that's probably what took the time. But, you know, keep giving people what they love. Yeah. So I'll go next. And uh, I'm curious, uh, Ben and, and particularly Kurt may uh, may beat me up for this one. But um, I'm going to go out of the box on this one. I'm going to call it an other. Um, and uh, and I wrote down um, combo meal. Uh, because I, <laughs> not only because it was multiple acquisitions, uh, if you include Sunrise and, and Wonderlist, um, but I actually think there are elements of this that, as there are in every acquisition, but here that, that really hit on every, um, every category. We've talked about a lot of them already. Um, I, I would say the reason for this is it was really, um, a revitalization of a business line, not a creation of a new one, but a rethinking of, um, of an entire business line in this case being outlook as part of the broader office, um, uh, future on, on a, in a mobile first cloud first world. And, um, you know, part of that is technology. Um, and part of that big part of that is people as we've talked about, um, and product as well. Um, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with combo meal. I think there's something to that. I mean, there is, there's clearly, I would say it's predominantly a product acquisition because that was, we, we had in mind something very specific we wanted to acquire, but there's clearly synergies with the other parts of the office business and so in, in office products. So think about the fact when you download a piece of email, it has an attachment. You want to fire up Word to read that attachment. There's a way of, of kind of linking those scenarios together that kind of goes towards your your combo meal theory, but it also said you, you need to establish a footprint on mobile devices and the first workload, if you will, that, that people use, or the first three, I would say, are the three that we, we acquired in these three acquisitions. And so in that sense as well, it was in uh, re-energizing the businesses also. So I guess I would, I think there's something to that. It's a, it's a, maybe it's a combo meal, um, that has at its heart a, uh, a product deal. Um, maybe we call that a happy meal. <laughs> that is interesting. You mean, you, t you talk about the, the key scenarios on mobile there. It's like, uh, you know, now office is a full productivity suite and a mobile lightweight productivity suite. Yep. And those are dramatically different yep. applications. Well, I love the framing too, that you have Kurt of, of workloads and what's your mobile workload. And, um, I, I think the Office mobile apps, uh, Word and PowerPoint and Excel, are great, but I almost never use them. Um, my mobile workload is email, calendar, to do. Yep. Uh, no, I think that's right. I, the the usage we find that the applications are primarily used for great viewing, which the fidelity of of viewing in in our applications is better than others, um, and then light editing, which means. You know, there are scenarios like imagine if you're you're read, uh, reading a document in Word and there's a set of comments that or edit revisions that you've got to um, take a look at and react to and edit with others that are working on the document. It's those kinds of scenarios for which you would use Word, Excel and PowerPoint. PowerPoint, you know, presenting PowerPoint presentation mode really works really well. But you have to rethink the scenarios. It's not just that you imagine um, using doing the same things on a mobile device that you do on your desktop. They're just different. Um, let's move on to. I want to make sure we have enough time for uh, my favorite part of the show, which is our um, our our technology themes segment. And uh, and Kurt, so what we do here is uh, each of us talks about. And, and again, you please join in. Would love to get your thoughts. You know, kind of what does this acquisition or these acquisitions highlight for you in terms of the the eternal truths about our business and, and technology. And, and Ben and I usually take a startup bent on this, but it'll be, um, I'm curious on your take, you know, having been at a big tech company for so long, having done a stint with us, you know, in the venture world, um, uh, what, uh, what themes are. So maybe, maybe Ben and I will go first, give you a little time to think about it. 
Um, but you know, for me, I'll, I'll go because, uh, this will be quick. We've, we've really already touched on it, but, um, one big theme that all of these acquisitions highlight for me is, is I think Kurt, I think you said it, you know, innovation is distributed. It's global today. Um, you know, uh, Accompli is in San Francisco. Sunrise was in New York city. Wonderlist is in Berlin. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but, uh, and it's not in the same group, but Microsoft also recently acquired Swift key. Mm-hmm. Um, another part of your strategy to take over my iPhone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they're in London and, and uh, again, don't know about SwiftKey, but the plan with, with all of the previous acquisitions is keep these teams where they are. And I think in a world of, you know, in the a consequence of this mobile first cloud first world is, you know, with GitHub, with Slack, with Dropbox, with AWS, and yes, with, you know, office and Skype, um, you know, innovation can come from, Redmond and Mountain View and San Francisco and Seattle, but also Berlin and also uh, London and also New York. Um, and what's what's important isn't uh, isn't so much the the location; it's about the quality of the products. Um, and I think about when we talked with Ed Freeze about Bungie and how important it was to keep the Bungie culture, but they had to move them down the street to Redmond. You know, today they would have stayed in Chicago. The one for me is. Um... You know, translating a, a theme that we heard about over and over and over again five years ago, kind of one level up the stack. So, you know, we it's it's been out of the news cycle recently, the phrase, bring your own device, because we all know that, yes, the BYOD world is here to stay and people choose their own hardware, bring their own hardware to works. And for a long time and kind of still it's a nightmare for IT folks. I think we've taken one step further on the stack and it's really bring your own client and mm-hmm to the extent possible for, for except for, you know, um, certain very secure applications. Um, the consumer expectation is that I choose the view in which my data is presented to me and I view that data that is from a service that is mandated. So either you choose your own service as a consumer and, you know, um, you, you choose Office 365 or Dropbox or, or you know, a variety of different mail, mail services, or like you work for a company and that company has a set of services you don't necessarily assume that that set of services comes with a mandated set of clients. And you sort of expect, I choose my own software to consume those services. And I think for me, like the, the reason why I think that, um, that this was so important is, you know, if, if uh, there are th- three best in class applications that people are going to choose to consume their services, um, it, it's kind of great to own the unified experience and, and be able to provide all the the best connections between the two or the three possible. Yeah, I think this is really important. You know, um, certainly the desktop operating system wars have been over for a long time, but you know, the mobile operating system war is over too. And nobody won like the, the, the points of interest and, um, dynamicism in, in computing and, and, and technology, sort of technology meeting consumers in products these days it's not you know ios or android or windows or mac or um, platforms uh, or even browser versus uh versus desktop versus mobile it's um it's really shifted to the app layer um and it may soon shift to the messaging layer we'll see (laughs) no i think there's something to to what all of you said and i think those are those are all correct things. Um, for me, I don't. It's it's hard for me in this one. The thing that, if there's a theme for me, it's that good products rise to the top um, inevitably. And you look at one of these products like Accompli, like Sunrise, um, like Wonderlist, and you just look at them and you say, "Wow, this is a great product." And you know, it's that excitement that we all have when we when we download a new app and it just it changes how you it changes how you work it changes how you work with others etc and each case of these these were products like that so as a theme i think it is these products well crafted by creative artists that you know really think deeply about how the user uses them have that passion um they went out and they you know they get that opportunity to to be in, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of, of users across the planet. 
so that that's one theme. It just seems like that recurring, that excitement that you get when you see a product like this that's really well done. And to have that those teams succeed by part of the acquisition, I think, is one key part of it. And then the second one for me is just that we are constantly learning of what the best way to to execute these kinds of acquisitions is. And we constantly get better at it. And I think we as a company took another step at getting better at it with these acquisitions, recognizing how do we keep the people energized? Um, how do we, as, as you said, David, it's a global world and let's keep the teams where their families are and where they are. It's not about bringing them all to Redmond. Um, and so we continually get better about it as well. And consistent with that is, you know, we're a bunch of engineers and product people, and we just love to, you know, you get these talented teams, you bring them in. And again, part of this getting better is to having them become in leadership positions, too, in our company and help us all get better and deliver better products as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. I th- uh, there's an interesting question that comes to mind in, in just thinking about some previous Microsoft acquisitions and then, um, you know, the, the, the world that exists today. Microsoft is a company that has like a diverse portfolio of businesses across many different customer segments from enterprise to consumer and um, kind of all the way up the chain. Not all these businesses have aligned priorities. I mean, for Windows, it's to have all applications be best in class and first on Windows. And for, you know, Office, it's to have the best possible integrated experience across all platforms. How do you, when you do an acquisition like this, make sure that the leaders of all those organizations and that all the organizational priorities align around spending, you know, what comes to in total near half a billion dollars on um, a productivity suite that for, uh, for iOS when, when you're a, a Windows, uh, you know, an executive over in Windows? Yep. Well, you come in with a set of premises that or the fundamentals about what the uh, fundamental assumptions under which you're making the acquisition. And in this case, for these apps, it was clear the cross-platform uh, was a key part of the acquisition premise. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, one, it has to be championed by the leader of that particular product group, so Chi Lu in this case, and there has to be strong support there. And it has to be championed by the CEO as well. And so Satya has to look at the acquisition and say, you know, I like this acquisition. And Terry Meyerson, I understand this doesn't specifically help you. I think it indirectly helps you by making um, our services strong and making Windows and Outlook uh, for Windows a great experience that also works on mobile devices and is just relevant. Uh, Terry, for relevant our listeners, is head of Windows, right? Yeah, Terry, Terry leads uh, Windows. But there's always a balancing that happens and you go into it not thinking that there's a there may not be as strong a value proposition for some of the businesses as others. And any time you have a company that is as large as ours and we're not the only one of this size, there's always going to be this balancing of priorities that comes out. The thing that you have to that we are constantly pushing towards is don't let that balancing of priorities mean that you're mediocre in everything. Mm. And you really have to say that, for example, in cheese business, for, this, for, the, to, for office to be the leading productivity solution on the planet, we've got to have a great story around cross-platform. And so you really do, it's excellence for all. It's not about the balancing out at some mediocre level where nothing is great. God, that's a great point. That's a really good way to think about it. Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> sure. Um, should we uh, uh, should we wrap up? With- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, render our grades. Yeah. But Bef- before I do that, I have a I have a question for uh, for Kurt. So, you know, yeah. th- this this acquisition is typically too er- probably too early for the ones we usually do on this show. I mean, usually we like to see a little bit of proof in the pudding that you can like look at some spreadsheets and see, hey, you know, they bought the company for this much, and it turns out. You know, there, there's a lot of other ancillary value, but we can definitely attribute this value gain to the acquired property. And there was a, a, a multiplier on the value of the acquisition for the acquirer post-acquisition. Great, clean math. Nice to justify. You know, we can look at Instagram being a multi-billion dollar business inside of Facebook right now and being acquired for a billion and go, great investment, guys. How with this business, you know, it, it's it's 
definitely too early to say for sure one way or another. I think we need to, to wait a few years. But you know, how do you look at the success metrics of you know we, we dropped some number of hundreds of millions of dollars on this this suite of applications? What are you looking for from a financial perspective on a, on a return, and how do you how could you possibly measure that? You can't. And, and we don't look for a financial measurement on everything that we do. Mm-hmm. In fact, we very explicitly have a set of metrics that are around performance and others that are around, are we making progress in our category or you know, so-called power metrics of, do we have strength among users in using our products? And this one, the metrics around these products are all in that latter category. It's all about how many people are using and loving the product. And you can't even draw the indirect, you know, mathematical connection to greater office sales. And we don't even try. So we set Mm -hmm. goals that are for these products that are around how many monthly active users do we want to have? What's the level of engagement that we want to have with the products? Because we have confidence in the premise that if those are strong users, it will pull through um, sales of office. Now, the place where we do do some measurements is around customer sentiment about, you know, do you, what fraction of the office users are also using our mobile clients? You Uh, can also make a measurement of what the value is of a customer that is both a user of the core office applications and the users of the mobile applications as well, or do they use OneDrive, for instance? mm -hmm. And we do find that the value of those customers are higher because they're more highly engaged users of office. And so that if you if you want to come up with a mathematical equation, I suppose you could. We don't tend to look at it that way, but we do tend to do these, you know, conjoint analyses of of, uh, you know, if, of the connections of the different products to today and what that implies about the, the strength of that person, that particular user as a customer. Fascinating. That is very cool. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, it's great to, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why we started this show is to talk about stuff like this. You know, it's so opaque what um, what acquirers are looking for and what happens to companies post acquisition. And um, it's just, yeah, it's thank you for that. And, and it's it's um, great to great to get that in, insight into how, you know, we talk about categories of acquisition uh, and we're thinking more from a theoretical perspective. But um but yeah, what what really is the you know the measurement that you guys are using for different kinds of acquisition? Yep, definitely different differs by acquisition. Cool. Um, grades, Ben. Grades. So I'm going to allow myself a um, plus or minus factor. That's the tolerance in which my grade can go up or down um, in notches over time since we're kind of early. And I'm going to rate it a B plus right now with a, a two notch variation. So it could go, go to an A or a B minus, but it's, it's, it's solidly an A or a B. Uh, I'm going to go, um, you know, I've been thinking about this for the whole episode. Um, I'm going to give this an A and I'm going to say that because I'm thinking about this in contrast to, uh, we did an episode on Siri and, Ben and I were both so well. we were both quite uh, <laughs> quite harsh in our judgment of of that um, and I, and I and I, one of the reasons is clearly uh, virtual assistants and voice based computing is a um, major uh, paradigm that is important for technology companies going forward you know Amazon blah blah but um, Apple's really not done so great on that and I think about in contrast. Um, office and and Microsoft having been the leader in productivity. And when these acquisitions were made, really, you know, um, I think I think Microsoft was under a lot of threat from a lot of different areas from Google Docs to um, startups like Evernote to the other mail and calendar clients and task lists out there of which there were several. Um, And here we are several years later, and I am 100% an Apple guy. Um, and I love my cloud services and Dropbox and Slack. Um, and Dave, you are looking at a Google Doc right now. And I'm looking notes. at a Google Doc. And oh, yet, <laughs> Kurt you're killing me, Dave. And Sorry, yet, Kurt. Uh, you know, I've joked about it several times, but Microsoft basically owns my productivity on my iPhone. Um, 
I use Wonderlist every single day, all day. I use Outlook for iOS every single day, all day. Uh, and the calendaring features are, are the real differentiator for it. Uh, I use SwiftKey. Oh my God, send availability in Outlook is like yeah. the best feature. Um, <laughs> and and I, I contrast that with uh, with Siri, and I just think it's been a huge, huge win. So a lot of work to do to keep it up, but good job, Kurt. All right. Well, I'll take those. I think I'll take those and go grab a beer to celebrate. But uh, I hope you'll I'll help you ask me back. And uh, Ben, we can celebrate uh, you changing your grade to an A. All right. Sounds All good. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. All right. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. See you guys. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Huh?